Welcome to the New to Jesus podcast, where we find foundational truths to help you take your first steps in your walk with Christ. Welcome back to the New to Jesus podcast. This is Dan Bergman, and we're going to start this episode with the book of Genesis. I'm not sure how many episodes this is going to be, but it's going to be a longer study, and I'm so excited to share it with you today. As we begin, I want you to understand that the book of Genesis was written by Moses. This is not only because of certain things that correspond throughout the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Tanakh, the Old Testament, sometimes called the Torah, and sometimes called the Pentateuch. This is the first five books of the Bible, and they are attributed to Moses by Jesus as well as others throughout the Bible. For the sake of this podcast, we are not going to talk about the authorship of the book of Genesis. We are just going to take it as fact that it was written by Moses. Now, the name Genesis comes from a Greek word meaning beginnings. The Hebrew word is Bereshit. Bereshit is the first word of the Hebrew Bible, and it means in the beginning. And so I want us to understand that before the creation of the universe, there was God. God was there. He is eternal. He has no beginning. He is from eternity past. Now we find out throughout the rest of scripture, as well as we looked at this in the book of John, that God is one God with three manifestations of that one God, three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three of these are eternal. All three of these take part in the act of creating the universe. In fact, the Bible says in the New Testament that everything was made through Jesus, and without him was nothing made that was made. And so as we look at the book of Genesis, I want us to understand that it is such an important book as we look at the idea of a worldview, how we view this world can be greatly influenced by our views of the book of Genesis. And so strap in. This is going to be in for the long haul, but it's going to be an exciting study. Let's start by taking a look at verse 1. The Bible says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. The Bible assumes the existence of God. It doesn't try to say why or how God was there. It just says in the beginning, God created everything. God was already there. And by the way, the word created here in the Hebrew has the idea of to make something out of nothing. And it's almost entirely, almost exclusively used of God alone. God created out of nothing. He spoke it into existence everything that is here. And we read in verse 1, it says, the heavens and the earth. Now, your Bible might say heaven, it might say heavens, plural. The word in Hebrew, shamayim, is always plural. And it has the idea of not only the sky, the atmosphere, but also the universe. And then thirdly, the third aspect in the understanding of the heavens, okay, the sky, the universe, and then thirdly, where God dwells. 
when we get to the book of Revelation, the Bible says that God is going to one day create a new heaven and a new earth, which is, by the way, where believers will be for all of eternity. This is sometimes referred to as the eternal state. It's not that we're going to be floating on a cloud somewhere, okay? But God is literally going to create a new earth. Maybe someday, as we go through this podcast, maybe we'll get to the book of Revelation eventually. But just know that here in Genesis, when it says God created the heavens and the earth, or the heaven and the earth, he not only created the planet that we know of as the earth, but he also created the atmosphere, the universe, and the place where we understand is God's dwelling place, the heavens. Okay, so in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So according to Scripture, at the instance that the earth appeared, okay, the instance that the, the earth was created, in that instance, the earth was kind of formless and empty. And there was water, the Bible says, that the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Dry land had not yet appeared upon the face of the earth. Now, some people look at this verse, as well as other verses in Scripture, and they try and say that there is something known as the gap theory, meaning that God created everything perfect, and then all of a sudden everything became chaotic, and, 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 and there's just this millions of years of gap between Genesis 1.1 in Genesis 1, 2. If we take a literal view of the scripture as a whole, this view does not make sense. I'm not going to address it in this podcast in detail for time's sake and because it can get a bit confusing. But I want you to know, if you're watching the video version of this podcast, you can click this card that'll appear that'll go to the video where I address the gap theory in detail. And if you're listening on an audio podcast, I'm going to put a link to this video that I'm referring to in the show notes, where I address the gap theory and why it is unbiblical and wrong. Okay, so just know that when God created everything, when he created the earth, at the, at the instance that it was originally created, it was water. Okay, there was no dry land as of yet. That's what verse 2 is communicating. Verse 3, it says, And God said, Let there be light. In the Hebrew, he says, Yehi or. Two words in the Hebrew. In the English, let there be light. And God is basically saying, Light is here. And instantly, there was light. God spoke it into existence. God created it by the word of his mouth. Everything was darkness, okay? No light at all. And the instance that God says, Yehi or, let there be light, there is light. Verse 3, day one of creation, God creates the heavens, the earth, and the light. Then it says in verse 4, and God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God made a distinction between the light and the darkness. And thousands of years later today, we're still trying to understand light. 
the spectrum of light, the light that we can see, the light that we can't see, how light behaves, how it interacts. We're still trying to figure all this stuff out. And basically what science is, is understanding the thoughts of God after he thought them, okay? God knows all of this. He knows even the stuff that we can't comprehend. And he knew it all before he even said, let there be light. But God created the light, and he divided the light from the darkness. Now, throughout scripture, there is a symbolism that goes along with the idea of light and darkness. We looked at this quite a bit in the book of John, where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And John the Baptist, talking about Jesus, said that the light came into the world and, and, and the darkness comprehended it not, okay? Darkness symbolizing sin and evil and chaos and wickedness. Light resembling righteousness and truth. Now, is darkness always bad and wicked and wrong? No. Okay, but there is a motif, a, a, a symbolism throughout Scripture that kind of symbolizes darkness along with the idea of bad and wicked and wrong. Here, it's neutral, okay? There is no sin as of yet in this passage. God just separated the darkness from the light. Verse 5, And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Much of what God told Moses to write in the book of Genesis is for the purpose of the nation of Israel to understand how they came into existence. If things were written in a way that was not comprehensible to the average Israelite, it would just go over their head and make no sense at all. So I want us to understand that the book of Genesis is written, okay? It's the word of God, God's word to man. But it's also written for the purpose of man to understand it in his context. Okay, so according to the, the nation of Israel, okay, the people that this book was originally uh, written for, the audience of this book, was to understand that God created day and night. Also, I want us to understand that in the timing of the creation of the universe, it's very important that we understand that the audience knew what morning was and what evening was. This is not symbolic. This is literal. And so when God created the heavens and the earth, and he created light, this was day number one. How do we know that it's a literal day? How do we know that it's just not thousands of years? After all, there's a passage in Peter where it talks about, be not ignorant of this one thing, a day with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Is that saying that there's like millions of years symbolized in this idea of day? No, not at all. The immediate audience that would receive the book of Genesis, they knew what a day was. They knew what morning and evening was. And the Hebrew word for a day, yom, is always, always, always a normal 24-hour-ish day when it is qualified with phrases like morning and evening. 
Can they be symbolic in the Bible? Yes, it can. But not when it's talking about morning and evening was the first day. You need to understand that when God created everything, as we're going to go through the creation week, God created everything in six literal 24-hour days. We know this because it's morning and evening. We know this because the nation of Israel would have been like, what, what is this thing about day? They understood a day to be morning and evening, 24-hour-ish, plus or minus a couple of seconds, okay? God created everything in six literal days. The morning and the evening was the first day. Then we come to verse 6, and it says, And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. The evening and the morning was the second day. Now, there's a lot of people that get confused about this. Okay, I talk to a lot of people online that believe in a flat earth. If you believe the earth is flat, I'm not going to ridicule you. I'm not going to demonize you. I'm not going to argue with you. I personally believe that the earth is round. And I don't believe that that fact contradicts scripture at all. For some reason, people that hold a flat earth view like to point to this idea of the firmament as if we're in kind of like half of a half of a snow globe okay with the earth being flat on the bottom and that there's this like dome over us that is the firmament i don't believe scripture necessitates that i believe scripture teaches and my personal belief is that the firmament is the atmosphere the firmament is the sky after all, God called the firmament heaven, okay? And so it's from man's understanding when they look into the sky, this is the first heaven, the firmament, a.k.a. the sky slash atmosphere. We'll get more into this as we go through these verses. Why does it talk about the firmament dividing the waters below from the waters above? Now, I personally believe that at this point in time, before we get to the flood, which happens in Genesis chapter 6, at that point in time, it had never rained upon the earth. Okay, before Genesis 6, before the flood, there was never rain upon the earth. Then we find that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, and that the earth was filled with water, 15 cubits, which is like... I don't know, 20, 30 feet above the top of the highest mountain. So there was a worldwide global flood in Genesis chapter 6. Before that flood, it had never rained. I personally believe that before the flood, there was an extra layer of the atmosphere that came down during the flood. This is how we can account for enough water to completely flood above the top of the highest mountain all over the world, okay? And so I believe that there was an, another layer of atmosphere that consisted of water. And when God created this firmament, okay, the atmosphere, it divided the waters which were below. Remember, at this point in time, the earth was entirely covered with water. 
dry land had not yet appeared. And God created the firmament to divide the waters below from the waters above. And this layer of water above the firmament, I believe, came down during the flood. And so day one, God creates the heavens, the earth, and light. Day two, he creates the firmament. Verse number nine, and God said, let the waters under the heaven, okay, the waters under the atmosphere, the sky, the firmament, okay, the waters that are upon the face of the earth, let the waters under heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. Okay, and so this is where dry land appears. There's no animal life. There's no humans yet, okay? It's just water and dry land. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass. And the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. This is the first instance where I believe we can see that God begins to create things with an appearance of age. When God creates things during the creation week, they are fully matured forms. This is true of the animals. This is true of mankind. This is true of the trees and the fruit and all these other things that that appear. In an instance, okay, it doesn't take 20 years for, for a tree to grow to bear fruit. Otherwise, Adam and Eve would be kind of stuck, okay? And so when God creates everything, he creates it with an appearance of age, meaning he creates it in a mature form. He didn't create Adam and Eve as babies. And by the way, this answers the age-old question, what came first, the chicken or the egg? God didn't create an egg. He created a chicken, which brought forth eggs and multiplied after its kind. And so, the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after its kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning was the third day. And so day three, dry land and plant life. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. This is where God creates the sun, moon, and stars, day number four. Keep in mind, God already created light on day one. How is that possible? He's God. He can do whatever he wants, however he wants to do it. And by the way, it was scientifically understood that there is light in the absence of the sun. The sun isn't the only light source in the universe. And by the way, when we get to that eternal state with the new heaven and the new earth, the Bible says that Jesus himself, the lamb, is going to be the light that lights everything. And so there's going to be no more need for a sun, okay? Now, when it says God created these things to be in the firmament of the heaven, remember how I talked about the firmament, I believe, is the atmosphere. 
do sun, moon, and stars, do they exist within the atmosphere? No. Okay. But from the eyes of the Israelites, those who would read these passages, the sun, moon, and stars appear in the sky. And so from their perspective, they would understand these lights to be in the firmament. And it says in verse 15, And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven, to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the sun, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. So day four, God makes the sun, moon, and stars. By the way, I would include in this verse all the planets as well. God created everything. God created the universe. Not just the sun, not just the moon, not just stars, but he created all the hosts of heaven, as it says in the Bible. He created everything, including planets, solar systems, galaxies, and so on. Day four, he creates the sun, moon, and stars. Verse 17, and God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and the evening and the morning was the fourth day. Now, in verse 20, it says, and God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. So day number five, God creates the sea life and he creates the fowls of the air. And the Bible says that they would fly in the firmament, the atmosphere, the sky. And God created great whales. Now what's interesting is the word whales here in the Hebrew can have the idea of not only like a blue whale, but it can also have the idea of dinosaurs of the sea. Kind of like a sea monster kind of an idea. God created these great creatures of the sea. And every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. And fill the waters in the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning was the fifth day. So day five, God creates the sea life and the air life. Now we come to day six. And God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. This is the land animals. This is the insects. This is everything that creeps upon the earth. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Something I want you to understand is this idea of bringing forth after their kind. This is kind of like the idea of a species, okay? You know how different breeds, different variations of dogs can breed with each other and create offspring. Now, there are certain animals that 
they can create offspring once, but that offspring is sterile. Meaning, you can't crossbreed a cat and a dog. Or you can't crossbreed a horse and a lion, okay? It just doesn't work. God created these boundaries of kinds. Now, within the idea of kind, there's a variation of horse breeds. There's a variation of breeds of dog, um, which may have originated with a wolf type of creature. This does not prove evolution. This proves variation within the kind that God created. This is also known as microevolution, meaning that uh, different dogs can produce a variety of dogs. Different cats can produce a variety of cats. That's microevolution. That is provable. That is testable. That is fact. Macroevolution, however, teaches that the cat and the dog had a common ancestor, which was a fish, okay? That is not true. That is not biblical. That is not even scientifically provable. And so don't get things mixed up between microevolution and macroevolution. Microevolution says that a dog can produce a variety of dogs, that there are variations within a species. Macroevolution says that two different species had a common ancestor over millions of years, and that ancestor was an amoeba that came out of a primordial ooze. That's not true, okay? And so microevolution means variation within a kind. God said, be fruitful and multiply to bring forth after his kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Now we come to verse 26, where God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, you may have caught um, some pronoun usage there where God says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. I want you to understand that the word for God in Genesis chapter 1 is the word Elohim. Elohim is the plural of Eloah. Eloah would mean God, singular. Elohim, in many different contexts, could mean God's plural. Elohim is a plural noun. Why is this? I believe that God is a plurality in unity. As I stated earlier in this podcast, one God, three persons. I believe when God said, let us make man in our image, this is not some kind of royal we. This is not some kind of plural of majesty. Um, other books in the Bible, like the book of Job, clearly shows examples of the plural of majesty. I don't believe that that's what's being used here. I believe that God is a plurality in unity, that he's three in one. And when he says, let us make man in our image, it's speaking of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all three being active in the creation act. And he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. What does that mean? Well, the words image and likeness 
have the idea of a shadow or a resemblance much in the way that a son resembles their father. I look a lot like my dad. I share a number of characteristics. Now, we're not twins, but there is a semblance. There is a likeness. I've had lots of people tell me that my own son um, looks a lot like me, especially if you compare pictures from when I was his age. Okay, so the semblance between a father and a son, the idea of a shadow or some kind of a likeness, that's what this word means here. And there's lots of different ways that mankind is like God. We are the only created being that has a soul. We have a mind, a will, and emotions. We are creative beings. We desire to create, just like God is the creator. Now, the ways in which we are like God pale in comparison, and as we get to the fall of man, later in our study of the book of Genesis, when mankind fell into sin, part of that image, uh, that likeness, was tainted or scarred. But even after the fall, we still, as mankind, retain that semblance, that image, that likeness. And when we get to the point where capital punishment is instituted, the reasoning for that capital punishment is because man was created in the image of God. And when you take a life, when you destroy a human being, you're destroying an image bearer of God's likeness. Now, if you want to see or understand what that image of God is like in focus, look at Jesus himself. The Bible actually says that all the fullness of the Godhead, all the fullness of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all the fullness of everything that makes God who he is, dwelt in Jesus bodily. And that Jesus is the express image of his person. If you want to see God, look at Jesus. So anyway, God says, let us make man after our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. By the way, when it says cattle, it's not just meaning cows. Okay, The, the Hebrew word for cattle, behemoth, means animals, beasts of the field. This would have to do with like oxen, deer, bison, antelope. Uh, all the beasts of the field, okay, in that word, cattle. And man is supposed to have dominion over all of this. That idea of dominion doesn't mean uh, to treat everything harshly or badly. It means you are the caretaker, okay? You are the leader. You are the one that is given God's authority over this earth to be a steward of it, to be a manager of it, to take care of it. This is not saying that we have license from God to destroy everything, okay? Much the opposite. We have the responsibility given by God to take care of his creation. And so continuing, God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. By the way, there's only two genders. And God created them how they were supposed to be, male and female. 
And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth. Now, I had somebody recently send me a message on Instagram asking about this word replenish. Does that mean to fill again? And by the way, the uh, those that would be adherents to the gap theory that I talked about earlier in this episode, they like to point to this verse and say that God is, you know, it's a second creation. The first creation got destroyed. Um, and, and, and now God is recreating again after this million-year gap or whatever, and, you know, he's commanding Adam and Eve to refill the earth. This word in Hebrew doesn't mean to fill again. It means to fill for the first time. It's just that 400 years removed from this translation uh, in English, we have a misconception about what the word means, okay? The Hebrew word does not mean to fill again. It simply means to fill, Okay, so fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Okay, so man is given authority and responsibility. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat or food. At this point in time, God did not give permission for mankind to eat meat. He had simply given them the fruit of the earth, the herb, the grass, and the the different kinds of plant life for their food. And then it says, And every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. Wait a second. What about what about carnivores? What about the lions? Uh, what about the tigers? What about the bears? What about the velociraptors? By the way, I believe that when God created everything, he also created the dinosaurs with man. This is something that I've talked about in a number of my different videos. Um, in the book of Job, the Bible talks about two different dinosaurs that he made alongside mankind. God didn't create the dinosaurs 65 million years ago and then create the man, you know, however many years ago. It was within six literal 24-hour days that God created everything, mankind and the dinosaurs. Okay, when God created the fowl of the air, he also created pterodactyls. When he created the creatures of the sea, he also created the mosasaurus. When he created the beast of the field and all of those land animals, he also created the T-Rex and the Velociraptor and all of those other dinosaurs that we read about, Stegosaurus, okay? But at this point in time, before mankind fell into sin, everything was very different. There was no death, meaning there wasn't some lion or cheetah chasing down an antelope because they were all vegetarians. Does that mean that their physiology was different? Does that mean that maybe lions didn't have sharp teeth uh, for tearing flesh before the fall? Possibly. This is one of the things we're going to have to find out when we get to heaven. But at this point in time, even the lions, okay, even the velociraptors, they were friendly creatures that ate veggies, okay? They were vegetarians. They were herbivores. Everybody was an herbivore, and there was no death. Then it says, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth 
day. And so we have the first six days in the creation week. On the seventh day, God rested. We'll look at that in a little bit. But just know, as we end this episode, that God created everything in six literal 24-hour-ish days. And that when he created everything, there was no death, there was no pain, there was no sin. Everything was perfect. This will quickly change as we look into the fall of man, which sends all of creation in a nightmarish downward spiral. I'm so glad you joined me for this episode of the New to Jesus podcast, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the New to Jesus podcast. You can go to our website, newtojesus.com. That's new, the number two, jesus.com. If you'd like to find me on social media, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at danielbergman99. And if you'd like to rate and review this podcast on iTunes, that helps us to get in front of more people to help them take their first steps as new believers in Jesus.